Good morning. Good morning and a happy new year. I was just listening to something on the radio about how long do you get to say happy new year, but we're still in the first week, so happy new we year. definitely can say happy new year now. So we are Marty and Stacy Wadlow, and we are so glad that you are here with us today. Um, what a great way to start the new year. There's not a better place to be, so we're glad you're here. Absolutely, and it's nice to see familiar faces and new faces. And if you are new, we would love to get to know you a little better and welcome you here in a more formal way because we have a gift for you. So in the lobby, there are two connection counters and outside on the patio, there is the connection central. So if you would like to uh, meet us and introduce yourself, please do so and you can get a gift. Yeah. So, um... Couple oh, things no, that's me. Sorry. Yeah. That, that next part's me too. So we have next Sunday is pizza with the pastor. So um, if you're new or new-ish or if you've been here a while and uh, you really would like to get more involved in new life, pizza with the pastor is a great way to get to know uh, the leadership of the church. Obviously, you get to meet uh, the lead pastor, David Hutzko, Reverend Hutzko over there. And so it's great that uh, it's a great way just to get to know what the church is all about and what the mission is of the church. Yeah, it is. It's just, and it's fun just to hear what their vision is for um, the coming up season. And so also coming up, you probably saw it when you walked in, but there is partnership ministries are out in the lobby today. So at the bottom of your program is kind of a list of who's all out there. So Definitely take the time today to go over and to find out what they're all about and how you can get involved. Um, okay, so I am a goal person. Marty, not so much. Nope. Um, so as we're doing our turn and talk, this is what I want you to think about. If you picked a word, maybe share your word. If you're, you could tell the people by you if you um, made goals or didn't make goals and how you're doing on that. So let's go ahead and stand up, turn and talk, and introduce yourself to somebody. And what is your word if you have a word?
Amen. Um, I'm sure you guys are not alone in this, but as 2023 came to a close and 2024 was beginning, I decided, probably not an original idea, I'm going to read through the Bible in its entirety, right? So from Genesis to Revelation, that is my goal this year, to read it in its entirety. And very quickly, within the first few weeks, I realized this is not easy. Not only is it a lot of reading, but this isn't easy, right? When you choose to read it in its entirety, it's not always beautiful and fluffy and that makes you feel good. Sometimes it's gonna call you to do things that don't feel comfortable. Jesus' teachings are gonna call us to do things that don't feel easy all of the time. Um, forgiveness is not always gonna be easy. Loving the people who hurt you is not going to be easy. But in that, it is still beautiful. So as we enter this new series, as we're singing this song coming up, our prayer for you as a team is just that you would begin to open your eyes and ears to some of Jesus' teachings that aren't easy because we know that as we continue to follow him, as we listen to him, we are shaped to be more and more like Jesus and there's so much beauty in that, right? All right, so Holy Spirit, we just ask again that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, Lord, to be shaped more and more by Jesus each and every day, amen. If you hurt me, I will forgive. 
Father, we do, at the best of our abilities, we choose the way of Jesus. When it's hard, when it's easy, when it's beautiful, when it's ugly, we choose the Jesus way. And all through this, this worship time, I got this vision in my brain of the, the uh, waves and the high surf and the king tides that we've had this last week and how some peers withstood them and some peers did not. And I got that uh, vision for my own life. What is my life built on? Is my life built on something that can withstand the king tides of life? And so, Father, we open up our hearts to you. We open up our minds to you. God, would you point out the things that have uh, snuck in there, that have snuck into our foundations that are nothing but sinking sand? Good things and beautiful things, but not things that can withstand the tides. We open us up, our hearts up to you, Holy Spirit. We allow you in to point out those things today. Even if it's difficult. Because God, we want to be the peers that can withstand. We want to follow the Jesus way, even if it's hard. We know that we're gonna fall short and we thank you for your grace in advance, but it is our heart's desire to follow after you. And so we put ourselves before you this morning and we just ask that you would speak to us. Speak to us gently, but in a way that we can, um, that is also convicting, Father. We open ourselves up to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Um, I'd like to invite our ushers forward to receive our offering, uh, talking about things that sometimes can sneak in there and ways that we, places that we want to build our life on that aren't going to last. Um, giving back to the Lord is one of those ways that we say our hope is in Jesus alone. So um, if this is your first time here, don't feel any obligation, but obviously you're more than welcome to participate. And in fact, we have um, some, a little bit of some exciting news here at New Life. Um, we have another way for you to connect with us. Um, not maybe a new way, but a, a better way, hopefully. Um, you can always have given, we've had an app for a while. If you've been around New Life, you know the app is where it's yeah, okay. The app is where it's at. If you're looking for something, the app is where it's at. And we haven't really talked about it much because we've been in a transitional period. And so this past weekend, we actually switched over to a brand new app. So um, hopefully it'll be great. It's going to have some really cool integrations with some of our other programs with online giving and through our uh, online church database. So it's going to have some cool features. Here's the most important things to know. If you are an iPhone user, um, all you have to do is make sure your app is updated and it'll update to the newest um, version. If you're an Android user, you're, you're going to have to re-download and install the app. Sorry about that. Um, but the first time you open the new app, it'll prompt you for a couple of things um, to put in, um, turn on your notifications. We're hoping that this new app will sort of replace us having to text a lot of people so you can, we can send out notifications um, for upcoming events. Some of our, like, our Advent things or some of the things that we're going to do in, in Lent season to help us grow. Um, so turn on some of those notifications. We promise not to bombard you. And then the first time you open it, you'll put in your phone number. Um, put in your cell phone number. It'll send you a code. There's just like one 
one extra step, but that's how it links to your profile that already exists so that you can see all of the functions that will be helpful for you personally. So um, we hope and pray that it is a great tool to keep you um, plugged in here at New Life. Um, if you have any questions, I'll be out on the patio after service, and I hopefully would love to help you. I'm not amazingly techie, but I helped build it, so I hope it can help you out. Um, so we would just, we're just praying that it's a great tool because um, we truly want you to feel like you can engage here. And so it's a tool for you to engage because at this time of the year, um, in the beginning of the year, it is a great time to jump in at New Life. If you have been on the fence, if you've come in and sat in the back and left and haven't really been, been involved, this is a great time to maybe take a step of faith, to do something a little bit scary, maybe join one of our women's Bible studies or our men's Bible studies or some of the things that we have up coming up because um, it really can change your life if you get involved involved and you get yourself around some great people and really make Jesus and faith a focus for yourself this year. Um, so we hope that the app is also a tool that can just help you become more engaged in that. And so we are starting a brand new series today. It's called Known For It. And to start us off, I wanted to read the passage that we're going to be jumping into today. So if you're able, would you stand with me as we listen to the word of the Lord? And this is from Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him, Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on the glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I am baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the other ten disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them over and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, God, I pray that we would open our ears and our hearts and that you would tune our eyes towards what you want to speak to us today. I pray, God, that we would sense your presence and Holy Spirit, would you just be the communicator of truth? And we ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. You may have a seat. Before we get into the text today, I wanted to um, just share a really quick update. Uh, you know, during the month of December, we talked about how, what an important 
um, aspect or part of the generosity and giving that December is for our overall yearly budget. It actually fuels a great portion, of the, the, the most percentage-wise, of any other month, like uh, December and January are our strongest months for uh, fueling the ministry that happens here at New Life. And, and uh, what's really exciting um, for me to share this morning is that we had our strongest uh, uh, end of the year giving that we've had in five years. Can we just give God some praise for that? And so I can just encourage you that those dollars and cents and checks and, and that generosity is already being transformed into changed lives. And that's one of the things I always want to remind us, that it's, yes, there's this, this beautiful aspect that we get to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, but there's also this beautiful uh, aspect that um, just like when Jesus fed the 5,000, that our gifts get transformed into kingdom work and to ministry, not only here at New Life and not only around the five cities or along the Central Coast, but all around the world. And so again, just thank you so much for your generosity and for what God is doing here at New Life. Um, so uh, two things that pastors love to talk about, um, money, which we've already checked that one off, uh, and, and the second one is politics, so we're going to check that one off right here. Um, and this idea of known for it, I want to I wanna, um, set us up well for this particular series, because in 2024, or as you transition from 2023 to 2024, I think one of the things that is um, most, on most of our minds is this idea of goals or expectations, or we want to have new rhythms and practices that we want to embrace as a part of our life, and we want to be discipled in greater ways. Um, but to be honest, uh, as I was praying into every kind of August and September, I began thinking about and seeking the Lord's direction about the new year and what God wants us to, to be able to um, press into in the new year. And uh, around August and September, I started seeking the Lord. Lord, what is it that you want us to press into in this new year? And it came to my attention, not that I didn't already know it, but I became more aware as I was praying that 2024 is an election year. And uh, if you, uh, whether you were around the church in 2020 or whether you were just talking with your friends and family, uh, you know that politics is a really fun topic. I mean, if you ever want to have just like lots of friends, if you ever want to make friends, you just bring up like all kinds of policy and politics around your friends and family members, and you'll figure out really quick that it's not the easiest thing to talk about. And so to be quite honest, as your pastor, when the Holy Spirit began to prompt me in this particular direction, I'm like, uh, no. Like, like, I'm like, Holy Spirit, you, 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 you remember what 2020 was like. And quite honestly, if there's such thing as pastoral PTSD, I have it. All right? So I have this pastoral PTSD. And I know for some of you um, that maybe have families where, where this is a bigger uh, part of your conversation, that some of you have that same PTSD also. And so you're trying to figure out what it would be like. So so quite honestly, as I was thinking about it, I think part of the challenge for us as the church sometimes is that we don't talk about these types of things. And so because we don't talk about them, we don't know how to navigate them, not like the world, but like Jesus has called us to. And so one of the things that's important for us to do is to really ask ourselves, what does it look like to actually follow Jesus? Now, some of you are thinking right now, pastor, I didn't even know there was a problem last time. 
you might have been a part of the problem if you don't think that there was a problem. So the, um, or what was so bad? Well, you might have just buried your head in the sand and tuned everybody out. Maybe that's all right as well. But the reality is that 2020, to be really honest, 2020, not only as um, for pastors that, not only myself, but pastors that I talk to throughout the nation, but also congregations, not just ours, but throughout the nation, became um, one of those seasons that was actually very wounding. And in families, um, families were actually, in some ways, and some families even here, you know, almost four years later, aren't still talking to one another because of something that happened in 2020. And so as I think about this, I also begin to think about, you know, the church has a witness that we're called to have. And so what will our witness be, not only kind of in two ways, and I just want to be, uh, you know, not that we don't um, want to be a witness to all people, we'll talk about that, but we want to be a witness to those who don't think like us, act like us, and believe like us. And during this season, it feels like everything is on a more heightened level as people are trying to, especially non-believers or people who have no faith background, as the church begins to have these types of conversations, as you begin to have these kind of conversations within your own family and friend groups, people will be watching to see how you respond in the way that you talk about things. And the second thing that I know to be true, and maybe this is because of, whew, Maybe because it's my life stage. I'll be honest, it probably is. But our young adults and our younger generation is looking to the church and asking, how will they, how will they navigate really tough conversations? Where will the focus be? Who is it that they worship? Are they actually following Jesus or is there some other ideology or political agenda or any number of things that I have to adopt in order to follow after Jesus? What is it that we are going to communicate to our individuals? And so that passage that we read earlier, and we'll be walking through it here in a moment, but that passage that we read earlier, there's, there's a phrase in it that I think is so powerful as James and John are arguing about who's gonna be greatest in the kingdom and kind of posturing for leadership and posturing for power. Jesus comes along and says, oh, no, 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 but among us, it will look different. And I want you to keep that at the forefront of your mind as we walk through some things over the next couple of weeks. Among us, it will be different. How do we shape this? So, a couple of things. First of all, what do we wanna be known for? It's something that if you're taking notes, I want you to kind of keep this at the forefront of your mind. What is it that we wanna be known for in 2024 as we kind of navigate this world? What is it that we wanna be known for? What are the attitudes that we wanna be known for? What are the things when, when people think about you and they think about your social media feed and they think about who you are and they think about the conversations that they have with you, what is it that we want to be known for? Will it be following Jesus? Will it be keeping Jesus at the forefront of our conversations? Will it be keeping Jesus at the forefront of how we're having conversations and what we're learning about and what we're studying? Will, you know, uh, Courtney just mentioned reading through the Bible in a year. Um, what will you feed on? Will you feed on social media platforms that are just, just communicating to you what you wanna hear about your particular political party or where you spend so much time watching your particular program or show that actually scripture and what God wants to speak into your life will actually take a back seat. What do we want to be known for? 
A second thing that I want to kind of remind us of before we dive into the text is that as a pastor, there's really three primary things that I look at as I'm thinking about how to preach and teach and how to bring the word of God before us. And I have kind of three hats that I want to talk to you about. The hats are prophet, priest, and shepherd. The prophet hat is the hat where I place that on and it's not about telling you what's going to happen in the future, it's about giving direction. Prophets throughout the Old Testament gave direction to the people of God and sometimes that direction was hard to swallow, right? Sometimes that direction rubbed people the wrong way. In fact, I'm very well aware as we enter into this series that, that prophets are not welcome in their hometown. And so... One of the aspects of this series is going to be providing direction that I believe scripture reveals. Not David's personal opinion about this, but what I believe that scripture reveals about who we are and how we follow Jesus and how we operate in this world. The second uh, aspect is that sometimes uh, series, we, I put on that priestly hat. And I stand in the gap, just as you do, as a royal priesthood between a holy God and a broken and wounded and sinful world. And we preach into this idea, we stand in the gap, and we bridge the gap about what a holy God, what it means to worship a holy God and to know a holy God. And the third area is shepherd, and that's an aspect of care. And there's, there's times where we talk about ideas of forgiveness and wounds and brokenness and sin and the Holy Spirit just compels me hey what the congregation needs right now is just a pastor and a body who cares for them and helps them to um, to heal and be restored and I think what I want you to know about this series is while we will lean towards the prophet um, I will lean towards that prophet aspect of giving direction that I really think all three are important um, as I prepare this particular series, that I want God to give us direction, not just you guys, but myself as well, that as I read and study God's word, that that would be communicated and that he would give us direction as a body so that we would reflect Jesus in the greatest way possible in 2024. The second thing is that, yes, I want to put on that priestly hat and stand in the gap between a holy God who will have no other idols before him and calls us to worship him and him alone. And thirdly, I place on that hat of shepherd, knowing that God deeply cares about his people and deeply cares about those that don't yet know him. And I wanna lean in that our heart would be burdened for and be shaped by Jesus in such a way that we would take that as well. One of the things about the prophet that's really important or that, that role is really important is that so often the prophet is called to take us to places you wouldn't normally go on your own. And so when we talk about the hard words of Jesus, he takes us to places that we wouldn't necessarily go on our own. So with that in mind, some opening thoughts. There's gonna be a little bit longer setup today because I wanna make sure we do this well, all right? There's a thought within the life of the church or within the life of our nation that we are more divided than ever before. Anybody hear that kind of idea or a sense that type of idea that within the church and within our nation, so there's some reasons for that. I mean, we have five generations all living at the same time, more generations than ever in history. And so that's just a really unique time to be at in history. Um, and so my answer to you when people say that or when you even say that is yes 
and no. I understand what's being said and I understand and I sense and I feel what's going on when we say that we are divided. Um, However, one of the things as we look to the early church, one of the things that we recognize is that the early church was colonized by Rome and Jews were suffering underneath a heavy burden tax load. Can I get an amen? Come on, some levity, right? Some levity, (laughs) all right? So they were colonized by Rome and the Jews were suffering under a really burdensome tax code, all right? But But there was two people or two people groups that were the leading religious scholars of that particular day, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all right? And the Pharisees were kind of the the rural people. They were the people that were from the country, right? And yet they were very skilled in the law. In fact, they loved the law so much that in many ways, they had forgotten their love for God as who he is and actually loved the law even more. And so you had these group of people who were um, pushing people, uh, specifically the people who were on the margins, they had forgotten the heartbeat of the law and the heartbeat of God, and they were really fixated on the law of God and to the detriment of people who were on the margins of society. The second group of people, you have the Sadducees. The Sadducees weren't, weren't necessarily from the country. They were more from the urban centers. They weren't from the necessarily the, even the um, lesser uh, socioeconomic status. They were from the upper class, and they were considered progressives. Now, as progressives, they didn't honestly, and you may not know this, the Sadducees didn't accept most of the Torah as being um, kind of how we understand biblical canon. Like, they didn't understand it that way. In fact, they didn't believe in this idea of life after death even, and that was a major contention between them and the Pharisees, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees uh, didn't get along. What the Sadducees did do is that they aligned themselves with the people of Rome and the occupiers who had come in and taken up residence in that particular area. And because they did that, Rome lined the pockets of the Sadducees with a lot of money, and they had wealth and power as they aligned themselves with Rome. And so neither group was necessarily serving the people. They were serving their own interests. Sound familiar? Jesus comes along, and Jesus didn't fit into either group. Jesus comes along, and he frustrates both groups. In fact, can you believe it, that what brought the Sadducees and the Pharisees together was their hatred for Jesus? There was this, that's right, amen, amen. What it did was when Jesus comes along and starts speaking about being the Messiah, when Jesus comes along and starts talking about the kingdom of God coming to earth as it is in heaven, as Jesus comes along and starts talking about a different king and a different kingdom, all of a sudden, the Pharisees and the Sadducees get this level of uncertainty about their beliefs and a level of uncertainty about the future. And when you have a level of uncertainty, it exposes your values system. And so as we enter into 2024, as we hear the different people who are going to run for office and we look around us and hear the different conversations happening around politics, what happens is a level of uncertainty about the future of our country and about the future of our culture and the future of our society happens. And when that happens, it exposes our value system. Where will we place our trust? 
Now, another thing that's talked about within the life of the church is that we shouldn't talk about politics in the church. Jesus' message about the kingdom and that he is king and he is announcing a new kingdom is deeply political. You actually can't come on the scene and declare that you are king and announcing a new kingdom and not make a political statement about Caesar at that particular time. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and starts saying that, and people start saying that Jesus is Lord, that means that Caesar is not. That is a deeply political statement. But Jesus and his followers do not fit into any of the political parties neatly. There is not a Jesus political party. I know I just offended some people right there. There is not a Jesus political party. Jesus and his followers don't fit neatly into any political party party. Now, we may register with a particular party in order to vote, and we might be passionate about particular policies, and we're going to talk about how we can be passionate about a policy and about some of these things, and yet still honor Jesus in the midst of those kind of conversations. But we, while we might register, while we might vote, because we believe in a particular set of policies, are best for our country, we don't fit neatly into either political tribe. Jesus is not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. He's not a Libertarian. He is not any of those things. In fact, what you will discover about Jesus is that he will frustrate everybody. And so, as he frustrates people, us and as he frustrates people, we have to kind of navigate the art of these conversations. Now, people are okay with when you talk about politics within church, or they're okay with when you talk about politics within the life of your own family and friends if you agree with them. Would you say that? Like, like most people are like, yes, let's talk about politics. As long as you agree with me, then we can talk about it, and it's applauded. So when pastors talk about politics and the people agree with what the pastor says, people are like, awesome, let's talk about it. But when they disagree, they're like, pastor, stay in your lane. Right? So like that's kind of the, the tension that we, that we have. Jesus made audacious political claims, like I said, that he is Lord. And here's what I can say with certainty. There are gonna be some things that I'm gonna preach into and lean into within this particular series. And you're gonna say, I agree with that and, I'm, and I affirm that. And there is a certainty that I will say some things that will challenge you and you will disagree with. And part of this, is asking ourselves, how can we disagree and still follow Jesus together? How can we disagree and yet still follow Jesus together? So you might be asking, why take the risk? Why take the risk of having this conversation in church? Why take the risk of having this conversation where you know you're going to offend some people? Why take the risk of having this conversation where you know there might be even some people that say, hey, you know what, new life, I don't like the fact that we're having this conversation and I'm gonna like, why take the risk? I'm glad you asked. There's a missionary theologian named Leslie Newbegin 
blessing to begin, um, was a missionary to India, and he went to India and had incredible ministry there and then came back to uh, Great Britain in the 1970s. And he had a prophetic word or a word that the Holy Spirit just gave him about the future of the West. And I thought it was so powerful that I think it's important for us to kind of use to help us frame out this series. He said, basically, he said, as the West became more secular, and we are becoming more secular. We, are, we live in a post-Christian culture. If you're not familiar, the Central Coast from um, Santa Barbara to San Luis Obispo is the ninth most post-Christian area in the nation. That means there's more people that live in that particular area, the ninth most people, uh, or ninth most percentage of people in the nation of people who don't go to church and don't think like we think and aren't gonna gather on a Sunday morning like we are. In fact, many of them are growing up and we see this happen at main event. Many of our kids are growing up never having ever heard the story of God or the Bible stories that many of you grew up learning. But for Leslie Newbegin, he said, as the West became more secular and more... um, Uh, more post-Christian, politics would become the new religion. He actually said it even more like succinctly than that. Let Let me read it to you. Devotion and passion, once reserved for Jesus, would be transferred to political parties and ideology. Instead of looking to God to be the solution to our problems, people would be looking to politics for those answers. And so in today's culture, it actually may be far more likely, even for Christians, to see someone's fruit being political fervor rather than love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And all of us will stand before God one day and give an account for who our true king is. And that is one of the major reasons I feel it's important for us to talk about this. Jesus frustrates the right and the left because his words are often too conservative for the progressives and too progressive for the conservatives. Let me give you some examples. In John chapter three, a verse that you're really, really familiar with, Jesus, we're reminded that God so loved the whole world, not just aspects or part of it, not just America, but the entire world. And so Jesus challenges us and we're challenged with those words because we have to move from just being America-centric to understanding that as Christians and followers of Jesus, that we are called to, um, to make disciples of all the nations. And so we have to wrestle with that in light of who we are and policy. We learn in Matthew chapter nine, if you go to the end of Matthew chapter nine, it says Jesus went through all the towns and villages, essentially, the big places and the small places, or think of it like this, the coastal areas and the small cities and the place where agricultural, agriculture happens and the large cities that always kind of maybe feel a little bit more progressive. And wherever Jesus went, he saw sheep that were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, It says in Matthew chapter nine. A cursory view of the disciples of Jesus, all of a sudden you begin to notice that as you begin to learn about the disciples of Jesus that you have Matthew who is a tax collector who is likely very wealthy. You have people who are zealots. You have people who are fishermen who are more the blue collar uh, end of the spectrum. 
of society. And everybody is invited to come and follow Jesus, no matter your social economic status. However, we do know this from the teaching of Jesus, that he is especially concerned for the poor. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing in that calling? He's concerned about all ethnic groups. We're reminded in scripture that it's not Jew or Gentile, uh, slave or free, male or female, but all are invited to come and be a part of what God is doing. Jesus cares for the marginalized, the exploited and the immigrant. He cares for women and he cares about sexual wholeness. Jesus cares about loving our enemy and he cares about nonviolence. And what we wanna do when I mention those things is immediately our brain begins to move towards policy. But I don't want you to move towards policy over this series. I want you just to wrestle with what it looks like to choose to follow Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus? This quote from Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors, he, uh, this challenged me because I'm like, at first I read it and I'm like, I don't know that I agree with that. And then as it soaked deeper, I'm like, why don't I agree with this? Like, what is it about this that challenges me so much? Dallas Willard says this, there is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. And I'm like, man, that challenges me because I think my tendency is to go, how can I solve this or how can government solve this or how can this person solve this? But, but as we lead into this, I begin to think about like when I have a, a challenge, when Dana and I have conflict, how often is it not just better communication and not just more, better marriage skills, but it's actually a greater apprenticeship to Jesus on my behalf that actually will transform our marriage? And so when we're looking at our, uh, at our cities and we're looking at our country and we're looking at uh, the things that we are called to do, there's only so much that we have control over. But here's something that you have control over. You have control over how much you are gonna give your life towards the apprenticeship of Jesus. But following Jesus' teaching isn't easy. And so when we hear it, our tendency is to ignore it, to fit in, or to fit the way that we think, rather than to allow it to correct us. In fact, Mark 10, where we begin reading that passage, is some incredibly hard teaching that Jesus has throughout the entirety of the chapter. Jesus speaks specifically in the beginning of Mark 10 to men and how they treat women and how they act in terms of breaking the covenant of marriage. He talks up to people who are in the power or have authority in that particular culture. He moves on and he raises the value of children. Now, we actually probably have overemphasized that and kids have a high value in our culture, but in first century, kids were right on the same level as slaves. They were property. And so this was incredibly difficult teaching. Jesus speaks to a rich man about wealth and the rich man wrestles with what that actually means and the people who are surrounded listening to this teaching are gonna, uh, we're having to wrestle with what it means to be wealthy and to, and to be rich within the kingdom of God and how do I navigate that? Then Jesus does something really radical. The king, the one who's announcing the kingdom, begins to talk about his suffering and his death. And it throws everybody off. Because kings don't suffer and kings don't willingly die. 
And so James and John have a request. Who will be greatest in the kingdom of God? What's so fascinating is that right after that, there's a story about, there's, right around that, there's a, there's a story about this gentleman named Bartimaeus who was blind. And what the author is hoping that you see is that as Bartimaeus encounters Jesus as Messiah, the one who is blind actually can see greater than James and John who were with Jesus all the time. I wonder how often we have a blind spot where we think because we go to church and because we kind of are Christian that sometimes there's things that Jesus wants to teach us that are just simply a blind spot to us in their heart. So, really long opening. But Mark chapter 10 Starting at verse 35, says this, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him, meaning Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? He asked. Jesus' response in verse 36 almost feels like loaded. It's almost like it's a test, but they don't know it's a test. Like, they've been following after Jesus. They've been learning from Jesus. They've been sitting around, kind of leaning into his teaching. And so they have this request, and Jesus is kind of like, okay, what's your request? This is going to tell me a whole lot about what you've been learning. This is going to tell me a whole lot about what you have been picking up that I've been putting down. This is going to tell me a whole lot about who you are and what you think this kingdom is all about. Verse 37, they replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Notice what James and John don't ask. Jesus, you going to die? They skip over it. They don't even think about it. They assume that Jesus is going to is you know going to be this Messiah and King that is going to enter into Jerusalem, and when he enters into Jerusalem, that the whole city is going to enthrone Jesus, and he is going to be the type of king that they have in their mind, and because of that, they want positions of power. Now, the right hand position is known throughout scripture as being a position of power. But in Psalm 110, we learn something about the right hand position, and that is that the one who sits at the right hand will see the destruction of their enemies. And so one of the things that James and John are asking is, hey, Jesus, when you're enthroned as king and Messiah, can I sit on your right hand? I want to have a front row to seeing the destruction of my enemies. I feel like that's what happens on election day. Like people are like, I voted this way, you voted this way, I want a front row seat. We don't even just do that in elections. We do that when it comes to sports. I want Michigan to lose tomorrow. I just offended more people with that. But, but that's the thing. Is like we, want, we actually have created a culture where people actually thrive in the demise of their enemies. Problem is that's not the Jesus way. That's not who he's called us to be. And then the left side, even though unlucky in terms of how people understood the left hand and the left side, is also a place of honor. Verse 38. 
But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. How often do I feel like that Jesus like tells me that? Like I'm praying about something or I'm talking to Jesus about something and I feel like I hear the Holy Spirit say, you don't even know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? And then I love their answer and some of you chuckled when Elena wrote it. Oh yes, yes we are. Are you kidding me? Like, like, like when I think about that, I'm thinking, go like, all right, Jesus, that like really puts me in my place. And especially in a Christian culture where so many pastors want to talk about prosperity, so many pastors want to talk about favor, so many pastors want to just talk about what you get from Jesus. And, and it's not that we don't get blessing and it's not that we don't experience the goodness of God, but I want to be careful here because the way, the way of Jesus is one of suffering, the way of Jesus is one of sacrifice, the way of Jesus is one of surrender. Oh yes, they replied, we are able. And then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink of my bitter cup. Basically he was saying, yep, you are going to die, you just don't realize how you're gonna die yet. Welcome to Sunday morning, right? You will drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for those he has chosen. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John were asked, were asked they were indignant. They were, they were ticked off. They were partly ticked off because they weren't included in the request. In fact, I wonder what Peter was thinking. If you remember Peter, James, and John, they're like, you know, they're like locked in with one another, man. They're all kind of from the same background. James and John go up there and it's like, hey, hey, can we be on your left and right? And Peter's there like, hey, hey, where's my spot? If you want to reign with Jesus in glory, it will only be as you identify with him in his suffering, death, and resurrection. It's a hard line that we've been singing in that Choose the Jesus Way song. If you kill me, my hope is heaven. Paul said it this way. For if I live, it's Christ. If I die, it's gain. Those are hard words. Verse 42. So Jesus called them together. And he's like, hey, they obviously are not hearing me. So he calls them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Does that sound like a political season? Greatness in Jesus' day was shown by Rome through power, manipulation, coercive power, and deceptive power. Things haven't changed all that much. But Jesus is blunt. This type of leadership is not look like the kingdom of God. Verse 43, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. 
It shall not be so among you. You want to be great? Be a servant. You want to be first? Be a slave to all people. You're like, well, I don't know. I mean, does that mean we're like just like doormats? Like, what does it look like to be a slave for everyone? Well, what we need to understand is what are you being a slave for? Are you being a slave just for someone to tell you what to do? No, you're being a slave to, as a witness of the gospel. As a witness of the gospel, as a witness to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, you are a slave to that. So when everybody in the world says, hey, let's go right, if Jesus in the way of the gospel is left, we go left. If everybody says, in the world says we go left, if Jesus' way is, the, is, is in the way of the gospel is right, we go right. We don't have a left or a right that isn't towards Jesus. It is the gospel. We are a servant and a slave to bringing thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as Jesus teaches this, people reject him. Why did they reject him? They rejected him because he didn't match their understanding of power and authority. They thought that he was going to come into Jerusalem on a white war horse, you know, kind of putting Rome in their place. Do you know what happens in, in the next chapter? Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a donkey. And people hail him as king who don't understand what his kingdom is all about. Jesus will extend grace too far and be far too patient with people who are far from God. And people will reject him. Jesus will build bigger tables and eat and have fellowship with people who don't think like him and act like him and believe like him and people will reject him for it. The gospel requires our exclusive allegiance and devotion. And people get uncomfortable when you vote for them, but you won't give your allegiance to them because your allegiance is always Jesus first. And when people rejected Jesus, because he forgave people that they wouldn't forgive, and because he offered grace to people they wouldn't offer grace to, and because he ate with people that they wouldn't eat with, and because he was kind to people that they didn't think he should be kind to, and because he preached that he was king of this new kingdom, and they didn't agree with that. When he did that, they not only rejected him, they crucified him. And the reason is that when you depart from your group, when people begin to depart from the group, there's a couple things that happen. One is there's really tight bonds when it comes to our tribes because the reason we link up with people because it provides us security and it provides us power and it provides us authority. And when we also do that, we get really suspicious of people who are on the outside of our tribe. And this is actually what political partisanship uh, kind of feeds on this idea. 
But Ephesians chapter three, verse six, I love it how it says in the message paraphrase, the mystery is that people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of him all their lives, what I've been calling outsiders and insiders, stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, the same help, the same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. Will we be known for that? Verse 45 of our text says this. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so when we're looking for an example, a prime example of somebody who is a servant and a slave, we don't have to look very far. We can look specifically to Jesus. Servanthood for Jesus is not endured, like it's not kind of endured, like, hey, I just gotta get through it. It is his way. And the only possible way for us as his followers to follow him through suffering, through our own death, and through and, and through to his resurrection is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' atoning sacrifice will create a new community where it wasn't about the Sadducees and it wasn't about the Pharisees and it's not about the right and it's not about the left and it's not about anything other than this new community where Jesus is king and we are brothers and sisters gathering around a belief that he is the Messiah and it's only through his atoning sacrifice that my sins are forgiven. That is what binds us together and that's what brings us oneness. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about what does it look like to have convictions about particular policies, but to still keep Jesus at the forefront of our thinking? What does it look like to have really helpful conversations where iron sharpens iron? What does it look like for us to follow Jesus in such a way that at the end of 2024, people wouldn't just know who you voted for, but they would know that you followed Jesus? They would know that you were completely surrendered to him. And can I warn you, it's kind of like when we were talking about being peacemakers. What we want when, we be, be, when we're peacemakers is for people to go, oh, you're a peacemaker. You're so awesome. <laughs> and when you follow the Jesus way, what you're kind of thinking in your mind is, oh, I know when I'm kind, when I try to change the conversation to a more fruitful conversation, when I don't attack people, they won't attack me back. False. They crucified the one that we follow. What do you think that they're gonna do to us when we follow his way? See, that's the challenge. It is so much easier just to act like everybody else in this world and everybody else in our particular political party and treat everybody like them and, and create enemies out of the people who think differently. That is way easier. But what if in 2024, we as those who gather and have an expression of the kingdom of God here at New Life, led the way in following Jesus in these types of conversations, in our workplaces, in our families, among one another, what if we led the way and what if by leading and following Jesus in this particular way, we would give witness that there is a greater kingdom than the ones that we see in this world? 
And there is a greater king than the kings of this world. And his name is Jesus. I want you to bow your heads for a moment. And we're just gonna have a, a short time of silent reflection. I know this is a lot to take in. And the first thing I want you to reflect on is this. At the end of 2024, will I be more known for who I voted for? Will I be more known for a political party? Or will I be more known as a follower of Jesus? I just want you to process that. Just, just allow the Holy Spirit. If you stayed on your same trajectory right now, where would you find yourself? Well, you know more because you have spent more time reading. And again, we'll talk about it. It's not bad to read of it and be up to date on things. That's not what I'm saying. But will you have given more time and energy towards the things of this world and towards this election and towards policies than you have towards the scriptures and allowing Jesus to shape you? The second question, where do I sense I wanna push back? As I hear this message today, as I hear Pastor David, as I hear the word of God, where is it that I want to push back? Oh, but, 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 but. Where do I want to push back? And wherever you might want to push back, what if in these coming days and weeks you wrestled with the questions you had rather than reject what if we just wrestled? I'm committing too. I wanna wrestle with what the spirit wants to do in me. I don't wanna just kind of be prompted or convicted or hear the spirit saying something and reject it because it's uncomfortable or it's not easy or it doesn't fit neatly into how maybe some of my other friends or coworkers or family members think. What would it look like to wrestle with it rather than reject it? And so, Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, we come to you ready to receive from you, ready to listen. As we learn from James, may we be quick to listen and slow to speak. May we find ourselves in a heart posture of surrender. May we not hang out with you and be in your word and somehow miss what you're teaching us like James and John did in this particular passage. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to receive. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Again, we've got some great partner ministries that are right outside these doors. I invite you to stop by, have a conversation with them, learn more about what's, what's happening and how the kingdom of God is establishing on the Central Coast and around the world. As you go today, may you choose to follow Jesus so that among us, it will be different. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next week. Amen.